0: <laughs> this is a cool episode. Christina is an awesome person. I do want to say this, though. Man, this is going to be made incredibly evident throughout the episode. I do podcasts. That's the extent of my interviewing skills, if you will. Christina has been interviewing for a majority of her life. So one, I apologize for my lack of interviewing skills. And two, Christina... <laughs> you're awesome thank you for taking your time out of your day to record this episode with me this was so awesome man this was so cool christina is an awesome awesome woman and she is a gold mine gold mind gold mine there we go of information and oh my goodness it was so cool just to get to hear her stories and some of the people that she got to speak to just to kind of give you a little idea, is very well known in the journalism industry. So if you need to real quick, you can go to Twitter and you can find her. She's a cool lady.
1: Daniel? Hi there, how are you? Good, let me see are you uh, on video? or? Okay, well I'm on, on video if you want to turn yours on, that's fine. But...
0: Um, so what I'll do <clears throat> and this is going to sound like a cop out and I promise I'm not trying to but the <laughs> the program that I use to record is uh-huh. um, for whatever reason, whenever I start recording, it will take priority of my camera so I'm not able to use my camera on Zoom until after I stop recording. So afterwards, when I say thanks, you know, for talking with me and everything, stay on and I'll just kind of show you around my room and then you can see what I look like so you're not just talking to some random stranger. (laughs) 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 Excuse me. No problem. Awesome. Well, real quick before we start, I want to say this. One, I do have some allergy things going on. So if I have to take a second to, you know, like not say anything and just like relax a bit, I'm sorry, like I have a, pretty bad headache going on because of my allergies. Mm. It's just like all the pollen and stuff that's starting to come up again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is what it is. It's not that big of a deal. And, um, if I start to sound like I'm getting really congested, I'll be right back. Cause I probably got to blow my nose. So just so okay. you know, and you're aware that's what's going on. <laughs> all <laughs> um, right. And then we just got my wife and I just got back. So I'm kind of, uh, munching on this smoothie. So if I sound like I got food in my mouth again, I'm okay. sorry, but I'm also kind of right. eating at the same time. But, um, how are you? How's your Sunday going?
1: Yeah, so far so good. I, I actually had a really bad headache yesterday, and I think it was from the first dose of the Moderna shot. Uh, I
0: got my
1: first dose, and I'm wondering if that that was it. But other than that, I haven't had any reactions. But uh, I had a really nice. bad headache yesterday.
0: But. Nice, nice. Yeah. yeah, I wish I could get that shot. My wife got the, um, the Johnson & Johnson one, mm-hmm. and she was fine for about a day or so, And then for about 12 hours, she said she felt like she had like a really bad case of some kind of flu. Like it just Mm. hit her like a dump truck and she looked awful and she said she felt awful and her muscles were super achy and like she couldn't like see straight and stuff. It was weird, but it went away Mm. in like 12 hours.
1: Yeah, well, I guess they're really strong vaccines, apparently, you know, so it's, it's like your immune systems kicking in to fight the vaccine kind of Yeah, thing, right? yeah. It's
0: weird how they're doing it too. I mean. Like, yeah, I know. I've tried I try mean, to, <clears throat> excuse me, I try to look into it a little bit to try and understand what's going on, you know, because it's not a vaccine in the, <clears throat> sorry, a vaccine in the normal sense that, you know, like you just get it and it's good. It like does mm-hmm. something with your DNA or something like that yeah, or, yeah, or
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, RNA or. Sure. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And it's just so weird to like look into to see that science has come that far.
1: Yeah, it is. It's like a, um, it it apparently tells your, the cells in your body, um, not what not to do or something. I I forget. It's like that RNA It it does instructs the RNA to do something against. And I guess that's where the reaction comes in.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's super strange. I'm just glad that people are getting it. You know, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. what the, uh, uh i'm not sure if you guys down there in um, california have shortages or anything but up here in washington we've been having some shortages and it's Mm -hmm. it's so weird it's like they've been talking about how oh you know like we have to stick to the tier list you know if you're over Mm -hmm. 65 or whatever it is and then you're a healthcare frontline worker like you will get it and then only when everyone is vaccinated will go to tier two but then they're also talking about Oh, you know, like we have such a big, wide shortage, but then they're also telling people to wait at the locations where people are getting the vaccines because they could, quote unquote, have extra vaccines. I'm like, how do you have extra vaccines if we're in a shortage? Like that doesn't make sense to me.
1: I know. it's uh, The whole thing has been very... uh, a rocky rollout to see the least you know it really has i mean i think everywhere i don't i don't know if uh, very few places have really got a good handle on it on vaccine, vaccinating people yeah anyway, i just hope i just hope that people will get it yeah yeah i hope yeah, people exactly. get it we just need enough people to take it so we get you know
0: yeah because
1: <laughs> this thing back
0: yeah i want to say that the CDC or whoever is, you know, and I guess it is the CDC, Yeah, <laughs> uh, They're talking about like, they want to get a certain percentage of people vaccinated and then they're going to start like progressively opening everything faster because then you have like the quote unquote herd immunity because then it's like all those people theoretically can't get, you know, COVID. And then the people that aren't getting that aren't getting or haven't gotten the vaccine yet well it's like you know not to play with your life or anything or however you view it it's just like we're going to try and start to move a little more to towards like fully opening and that's i think that's how it's going that's my understanding of it at least or at least what they Mm want to do
1: right exactly yeah
0: yeah Yeah. i'm ready for it to, to open up though i i hate wearing cloth on my face I hate oh, it. Oh, it's
1: such a drag. I know, it's really awful, it's, it's especially in the in the hot weather. Actually, in the, the co- cooler weather, it's not so bad. I mean, you, uh, but, you know, it's walking around in heat with the, you know, thing on your face is not great. Yeah, it's yeah. the whole thing is, you yeah.
0: know. Yeah. So what do you do yeah. for a living? <clears throat>
1: um, I, I actually do. I'm a freelance writer and editor, so I, I do a lot of corporate stuff. I write op-eds, speeches, press releases, that kind of uh, thing. Nice. And do uh, editing of, you know, again, manuscripts or whatever, reports, what have you. So that enables me to do, um, you know, do my passion, which is write fiction. So, uh, you know, I've written two novels, working on a novel, a mystery uh, now. And, um, yeah so that's what I basically do. I, I was a journalist for, you know, many years. Um, and then I had a... Um, what you call tennis elbow actually from typing a repetitive stress injury from typing wow so that sort of put an end to my journalism career and then i'm so now i sort of decided well the silver lining on that is to i'll be i am now have the time to do my passion which is writing novels and um and fiction stuff and and uh yeah
0: wow so what made you, you- what, what got you, like, when you were, you know, a little kid, when did you think, or I, I shouldn't say little kid, you know, like, when you were in your younger years, you know, in school and stuff still, when did you kind of realize, yeah, you know, like, I want to be a journalist, I want to be a writer?
1: Well, I'd always loved reading, I was like a bookworm, and I, uh-huh. I was just a voracious reader, and um, so, you know, I read, I just read and read and read, and then I wanted to write the books, you know, and so I, that's, even as a, as a little kid... I wanted to be a writer. And then when I got to high school, I found they had a school newspaper there and there was a class called journalism and another one called writer's workshop. And so I took them and I thought, oh, this is a career that'll pay me to write and I can travel because it's my other passion and I'll be a journalist. So it was sort of, yeah. And that became just, you know, I I stumbled upon it and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. That's what I'll do.
0: Mm. and then what was like your because i i'm not very knowledgeable with journalism i don't i i know that like people go out and get stories and then they type up a thing and then it could or could not get published but what would you say would be your maybe expertise or like uh, a subject that you really enjoyed writing about
1: well my the highlight of my career was really going abroad and i um so, you know, I actually grew up moving country to country. I lived in seven countries when I was growing up. And oh, I came wow. to the United States, to New Jersey when I was 13. And um, so I, I always wanted to be a foreign correspondent. And I was working for newspapers in New Jersey as a reporter and editor for a number of years. And I could see I wasn't, I wasn't getting very close <laughs> to my, my goal or my dream of traveling. So I quit and ended up uh, going to Spain for a year and just teaching English and not sure if I was going to get back into journalism at all. And then I ended up in um, going to Guatemala and working for an English language newspaper there. And I was covering all these like fantastic stories of human rights violations and, you know, Maya culture and just all these really great things. And then I stayed there for about a year. And then I ended up in Caracas, Venezuela, which was a lot more modern than Guatemala, it was pretty um you know, it's pretty, uh, what you call it, undeveloped, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, really got into journalism in a, in a much more serious way, writing for a lot of big, uh, publications, financial times, time magazine business week. And I, I traveled all over Latin America and the Caribbean doing stories and stuff. So wow. that international journalism, it was just, it was just really exciting and it was just really interesting because it was so different, you know, than anything yeah. here. Yeah. And then, um, So I was doing that, and then I finally came back to the U.S. um, as a staff writer for the Miami Herald, and I was in Miami for five years and then came out to Los Angeles.
0: You are so well-seasoned of a traveler. That is crazy. What country were you born in, if you don't mind me asking?
1: Yeah, I was born in, well, I'll, I'll go even like beyond before that, actually, because of the story. <laughs> My parents, um, my mother's from England and my father's from New Zealand, and they met in Central Africa in what was then called Northern Rhodesia. Uh, they were in a mining town near the border of Congo, a copper mining town. My father was a, a mining engineer and my mother was a nurse at the mine hospital, so they got married, and I was all, you know, all set to be born there in northern Rhodesia, I thought, at the mine hospital, I suppose. And then at the last minute, they left, and um, I was born in New Zealand. Wow. And then three weeks later, um, we moved to Fiji, where uh, Dad worked at a gold mine there.
0: Oh. And it started the, yeah.
1: So I've just been traveling. I, even in utero, I was traveling. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Oh, my gosh, because I've I've heard so many people say, yeah, you know, like I travel all over. And I'm like, all right, where do you travel? I've been to Germany and France. And I'm like, all right, so you've been all over Europe. That's cool. I mean, that's that's the extent of my travels. I've been over most of Europe, but I've never heard someone who has as well traveled as you are. You say that you've been to Central America, Guatemala. You said you've been to South America, Venezuela. And I would assume more countries in mm-hmm. each of those Uh, areas and then you know you're talking about how you've been over Europe and (laughs) in Africa and uh, New Zealand and then Fiji and now you're in the states and it's like you are you have been everywhere I've been to 72 countries that's like I added it up you know
1: yeah so I have a good little number to throw out (laughs) when people ask and stuff yeah, I've been to 72. I mean, I definitely wanted to you know, start traveling once this pandemic thing ends, I'll yeah. travel again. But I've been all over Asia. Um, I haven't actually uh, been to a lot of Europe, some of Europe, and I've been to a few places in Africa and different other places uh, like Fiji, Mauritius in the Indian Ocean. Um, I love remote places, you know, places that people don't usually go to. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, you know, the, the further off the beaten track it is, the better, you know, mm-hmm. like that.
0: So then are you someone who, if I was to say, all right, Christina, I'm going to give you a cabin in the middle of the woods in, let's just say, Oregon, would you go? Yes. Yeah. Really? I mean,
1: basically, there's no place I wouldn't go. Um, you know, I think everywhere is pretty fascinating. It's just, to me, it's just fascinating to, yeah. to travel and and stuff. I mean, it can be scary, too, and I understand why people don't want to travel. Sometimes they get too, you know, you feel out of your element. You're kind of, you know, you just don't the, you know if language is different and everything, True, you yeah. just don't know how things are done. You know, how do you catch the bus or the train and manage yeah. the money and things like that. But once you sort of get over that hump, it's all part of the learning experience. I think also travel, you learn a lot about yourself as well as, you know, wherever you're traveling. Again, you you learn that you are, you can do it. You know, you are resourceful. Um, You know, you can um, find your way around a strange city and take a strange subway and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's something that I've told a lot of people when whenever they ask me about my travels and, you know, where I've been and whatnot, they're like, what are some of the things that you loved experiencing? And that was one of them is just kind of like, of course, not knowing is weird to a lot of people. You know, I don't know how to get on the metro. I don't know how to get on the bus. Like, how am I supposed to get from point A to point B besides walking for three hours? You know, like, where the, where's the food? You know, like, what am I going to do if I get lost? You know, like, so many people, they don't understand that that is fun to me. I love mm-hmm. kind of being lost in a city because it's so cool to be able to, you know, talk to people, you know, interact with them a little bit. Even if some people are jerks, you know, that you're going to find those people everywhere, but it's just so neat to me to be able to experience a culture for what it is rather than through some sort of like preconceived, you know, planned out lens because you're you're in the city then you know you're in the country you're mm-hmm. in the city you have to deal with things in real time and that's to me so much more valuable and so much more fun than kind of of course you know like planning out and stuff is nice because then you have an idea of where to go blah 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 but it's neat to not really have that planned out because you get to experience all of that you get to experience you know for example Ireland for what it is or Germany for what it is or you know South Africa for what it is Rather than kind of, you know, like, oh, I'm going to go here and then drive a little bit or go on the bus for a little bit and end up here. And then you see all the landmarks, but then, you know, you don't get to see the coffee shops on the side of the road or, you know, some of the, excuse me, some of the food trucks, you know, that are on the side of the road or, you know, even street performers or anything like that
1: yeah and I think I think people also get intimidated by the thought of like stranger danger kind of a thing that that is the yeah, um and you do have to be alert, and you know I've adopted a few little things along the way, but mostly people are very kind when they see that you're a foreigner, mm-hmm. um, and I've had numerous instances of you know. One time, like in Asia, that the driving is just absolutely crazy and uh, they don't stop, you know, for for pedestrians. It can be really tough to like cross the road. Yeah. So I was yeah. stuck, I think it was in Hanoi, and I was stuck and I was trying to get across the road, but there was just so much traffic and, you you know, it's like you're dodging and there's all these little motorcycles, you know. And so they really zip in and out. Mm-hmm. And then finally, this, this little old man came up and he kind of, you know, gave me a questioning look with his, and I said, okay. And he took my arm and he like guided me across the road. (laughs) See that I I was too afraid. I didn't know whether to, you know, yeah. but he got me across the road, you know, and I was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. And he just nodded, you know, we, I didn't speak his language. He didn't speak mine, but you know, we nodded and smiled and that's all you really need to do. And, you know, things like that. And, um, And just really nice things. One time on a a bus in Jordan, uh, I got talking to, it was really the kid, there were four children traveling with their mother, and one of the children spoke a little English, so she was practicing with me. And anyway, the mother ended up inviting me back to their house when we got off the bus in Amman, where they they were having a party, like a birthday party or something. And uh, so I went back to their house, you know, and saw how they, you know, stayed for a little while. I didn't stay for too long, but... Um, you know, they had all the, the women were in one room and the men were in another room and they were uh, getting ready for the, you know, f- food and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. for this, uh, this party. And so, yeah, so if you let yourself be open to those experiences, it can be really rewarding, you know.
0: Yeah, I've had, uh, when I was in Okinawa, there was this road that i would walk down because in okinawa i lived really close to this place called american village which was pretty much just like a it was a japanese mall but it kind of was taken from like the american ideals of what a mall is if you will and so Mm -hmm. i would walk to that every day just because it was one of the few things that i could do because i actually understood you know how that how that stuff worked and I was walking down this road, and because, you know, being in America, everything is on the right-hand side. If you drive, if you walk, you're usually on the right-hand side of the road. And over in Japan, it's not that way. They're on the other side of the road. They're on the left side. That's like, you know, everyone goes to the left. And so I'm walking on the right, and there's this older gentleman that was coming towards me, and I didn't realize that, excuse me, like I said, I got allergies and stuff going on. It's hitting my throat. Uh, There was this older gentleman that was walking towards me, and we were both on... He was on his left. I was on my right. And we were both coming, you know, coming close. And what he did is he looked like I looked up to see like, oh, you know, like, should I move? Because, you know, I'm I'm an ignorant American. I don't know if I should move. And he looked at me and smiled and nodded and then walked across the road to get to the other uh, sidewalk. And then once we passed far enough, he went back to the other side. And it's just like kind people like that, you know, like you don't see a lot of people, at least in the States. I'm not sure you know, wherever else in the States, you don't, a lot of people wouldn't do that. You know, there was a gentleman that came into my train car when I was going from Germany to Prague Um and he sat down next to me and took a nap. And I was like, all right, dude, you know, like you do you. I had, I was traveling with my uh, wife, now wife, girlfriend at the time, and then two of our friends, both female. And so I was, you know, kind of just like being the guy like Kelpin, you know, keep them safe and whatnot, because... The Czech Republic is a pretty dingy area, you know, and I didn't feel safe there personally, but um, it is somewhat safe, uh, more safe than the States uh, from what I've uh, been told. But this dude comes in, sits next to me, takes a nap, and then he wakes up and then he just starts talking to me and he speaks to me for like two hours straight about any and everything Europe and uh, Germany and Czech Republic and his life and all this stuff. And I'm like, you wouldn't get that if you were just on the train normally and in the States or, uh, you know, anywhere else. Like this guy was just so kind and hospitable and whatnot and was just telling me about some of the misconceived ideas about Germans and, and the, and the, uh, the Czechs and everything. And it was just so cool. And like you said earlier, you know, there are so many preconceived ideas that traveling is dangerous, you know, like you don't want to be caught by yourself traveling. And I mean, to an extent that's true. But I found out that a lot of people anywhere else besides the States, they're they're so much nicer. They're so much more hospitable than people here.
1: Yeah, people are eager to share their culture. And if you try and also speak their language, sometimes they're, they're very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I mean, you know, like anywhere you have to be uh, take precautions. Like if I'm uh, I've done so much. Tra- Most of my traveling actually has been by myself. So. I do a few things like I don't usually go out drinking. You know that's a yeah. bad thing for me. Like hanging out in a bar and getting drunk or even you know slightly tipsy, not not generally a good idea. So I just yeah. you know hang out in my room and read or whatever. Or, or sometimes if I'm staying in like a hostel, sometimes I stay I've stayed in a lot of hostels where there's more of a communal atmosphere. So there are people around you hang out with in yeah. the you know in the sort of uh, communal living room and that kind of things so, and. and you know, make friends, you know, friends or just talk to people and stuff like that. Um, but I, if I'm asking for directions on the street, I usually go to women or older men. I don't usually go to younger men. Um, you know, things, I, I don't wear any kind of jewelry at all, even a watch. Um, and I wear my backpack, my, my day backpack on my front, not my back. Uh, I keep, you know, small, small bills and change in and in a little, Change purse. Mm-hmm. So if I take to buy something, I'm not taking out a huge wad of money, you know. Yeah. Um, so all these think, you know, just common sense things, really. Um, and knock on wood, uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing nothing's happened to me. A few times there have been a couple of attempts, but nothing's actually happened. So it's. Yeah. But again, I, I does that doesn't scare me off. And sometimes if you're traveling in in places like Latin America, whatever, you're you are a target because they see that you're different, that you come from mm-hmm. Europe, or they don't so sometimes people think I'm from Germany or England. They don't know quite where you're from, but you're not from there. Yep. So it means you probably have more money <laughs> than they do. <laughs> and you know, can help them, can't help them for, for thinking that, but you've just got to be really be cautious, but be open too. I mean, another time in Colombia, uh, I was in some park, it was some thermal springs and some people invited me over and it's like a family picnic. And they invited me and gave me anise, which is like this little sort of licorice tasting liqueur. And, and, and I think they gave me a ride back to town if I remember. But, you know, again, it was a big group, you know, it was a family, so mm-hmm. I didn't feel um, it was unsafe. So yeah. you know you've got to trust your gut too. You know your gut that's instinct and what feels what feels sort of safe. But yeah, yeah and so you know sometimes you do get people who sort of take you under their wing. You know, like that family. They said, "Oh, let's you know this is unsafe. We'll take you back to the to your hotel to, in the town yeah. or something."
0: Yeah, it's so... so I found
1: that uh, quite a bit too. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. I wish I had people that did that to me. I mean, then again. I haven't been, you know, as uh, out of the States and around the world as you have, uh, you know, you've been all over. What, w- what would you say would be maybe like your top five countries that you've visited? And it doesn't have to be, you know, like, oh, the food is great. It could just be like, oh, it just felt good to be there. But what would be like your top five, if you will?
1: Um, You know, I really loved, I I just went right before the pandemic uh, broke out. Thankfully, I got this trip in. I went to Africa and um, I went to what is now Zambia, which is where I wanted to see the town where my parents met and where I was almost born. And, um, you know, it was great just going around there. And I went to um, Victoria Falls in Livingston, which is one of the big waterfalls of the world. And it was, you know, it was just really cool. And I went on a trip um, to a safari, day safari, and Chobe National Park. It was over the border in Botswana, and just going around the park and seeing lions and elephants, herds of elephants, giraffe, you know, and all in their na- native natural habitat. You know, these parks are huge. Um, uh, it was just, you know, gazelles and antelope, kind of things. You know. It, I, I love doing that, you know, seeing those kind of um, animals and animals so far. And I've, I've been once to Kenya, too, um, and on those uh, Savo National Park in Amboseli, It was the same thing. You go around in a sort of a Jeep, a Land Rover, usually, and see the animals. And this, so I really love doing that. Um, let's see, I loved going in the Pampas in Argentina, too, just really mm. out in the wilderness. I was on a bus, and it was just... Yeah. I mean, it was just fantastic. It was was just, it was just so remote and so empty and just, and then with these birds like rare birds, which are like sort of ostriches, you know, flightless birds and Mm. running across the plain, And I mean, that was fabulous too. And then seeing the glaciers in the, they have a national park of glaciers and the ice is so it's blue, you know, there's so much ice that it turns, it's like blue. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I mean, that was really fantastic too. Um, I love England. I've been to England many times throughout my life, just to visit family, since my mm. mother's from there, and I always love going around England. Um, mm-hmm. I just it feels very homey to me. Um, probably just because I've been going there since I, you know, before I can even remember. Um, so I love I love going anywhere in England and mm. uh, UK. Um, where else? Mm. Hmm. Some places I am ha- not eager to go back, like Egypt. I mean, I really? love seeing the, yeah, pyramids and Luxor, but it was a hard go, man. That was, <laughs> it was
0: a tough trip. <laughs> what was so hard it about it?
1: Yeah, it was just, it was just, I, I was, well, you know, I, I go by trains and buses, and it was just hard navigating the trains. It was really hot. Mm. Um, you know, it was just, yeah, it was, it just, just didn't gel for me.
0: Is it true that and of course I've seen pictures I've never been to Egypt but I would assume that it's like this based on the pictures Uh, but since you've been there I'll ask is it true that the pyramids are almost like uh, idolized in the sense that they're so sectioned off. To make it look like they're literally in the middle of nowhere, and then the rest of Cairo or whatever city they're in is kind of like around the outskirts. And so it's like you have the entire city just kind of there, but then you know it's just like the city cuts off, and then it almost like, yeah, that is deified. how it is. That's where, really,
1: yeah, that's where the Giza, you know, the pyramids of Giza, yeah, it's right on the outskirts of Cairo, and it's like, and there's this the city just it's just sort of abruptly ends, and then there's so the weird. desert and the. And the um, and the pyramids and the Sphinx and and stuff. So it was, yeah. That is how it is. It's so it's pretty easy to get to, you know, from Cairo with yeah. tons of you know day trips out there. So that was that's pretty easy to get to.
0: Oh, that's so cool though. That's one thing that I've really wanted to see is the pyramids because you see. I've heard so many things about them, you know, about how mathematically correct things are, you know, like people have measured them. I don't know, a bunch of this like super scientific, mathematic, you know, stuff that just doesn't make sense to me. But it just, they look so cool and just so grand and so big. Like, it, I know that they're big, but are they bigger in person?
1: Yeah, and they're just really old. I mean, you can just, you, you see that the, the stones are just like sort of crumbly and stuff. I mean, they're really, really, really oh, old. Man. And they are, and you just think, God, how did they ever manage to build these things?
0: Yeah.
1: You, I, they are pretty amazing. I are mean, the stones
0: themselves like huge and massive or are they kind yeah, of, the up, big, yeah, Yeah,
1: like big blocks. Yeah. Oh,
0: man, that's cool. I, I have to go out there and visit it visit one of these days just to see what it looks like that's neat yeah you just want to, yeah
1: i mean all that stuff i mean i've always been fascinated by the egyptology and stuff so it was cool to see all that
0: yeah stuff. so I don't know. I, I, I want to know what is so fascinating to you about the remoteness of some areas. Because you said that, you know, you really enjoyed going out to Argentina um, and, you know, like seeing the glaciers and stuff there at the parks and just being in these remote areas. And you said earlier that, you know, you would love to just live somewhere remote, almost anywhere, just because you enjoy the idea of maybe it's like solitude or something like that. But what about being remote is just so, fa- I shouldn't say fascinating, but you know, like, what what about being remote is something that you enjoy? Like, do you just not like other people? Do you not like the busy hustle bustle of, of uh, city life? You know, like what what kind of draws you towards that?
1: Well, I think I've, I've always lived in cities and suburbs, you know, around a lot of people. So I've never really experienced living. I don't know if I would live in some of these remote places, although it'd be an interesting experience, I think. But I do like traveling there. It's just like just getting away from it all. And we live such busy lives you know with the internet everything we've got everything coming at us all the time you know the cell phones and the internet and you know five million tv shows and channels right. and um, everything's so complicated in our modern lives so when you go to these remote places it's like life just goes down to its most simple basic form of just i don't know just you know just simple living I guess yeah. that's what it, it appeals to me, it's just simple living. And sometimes you see people out living in these places and they just leave very simple lives. Again, probably actually we would get boring. <laughs> we have <laughs> to say it would get boring. But it's, there's something also kind of just simple and um, I guess reminiscent of, you know, yesteryear when, of, of when things, life wasn't so complicated. Mm. We've made, you know, our postmodern life is very complicated and complex. So it's it's sort of looking, looking back to that sort of old, but I guess it's, it's idealizing it too, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I get that. You know, I, I lived in just South of Portland. I lived in Salem for a few years and went to school down there. And I, the one thing that I loved about that area of Oregon was I was 45 minutes away from Portland. So if I really wanted to, I could go up to Portland and be with a bunch of crazy people. If I wanted to, I could drive about an hour west and I could go to the beach and I could go about another hour north when I hit the beach and I'd be in Cannon Beach or maybe 45 minutes or something like that. But uh, if I wanted to, I could go to the mountains and I could go hike all by myself and see some beautiful mountains about 45 minutes east. If I wanted to go down south, there is, I would say about an hour, hour and a half, there were hot springs I could go to that were pretty remote. So it's, you know... When I was there, I had that idea of I could go, you know, three out of the four directions, and I could be, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and I could just enjoy nature. I can enjoy the sounds, the smells, you know, the ocean, the mountains, the lakes, whatever it is, and that's something that I thoroughly enjoyed. I loved that idea, like you said, of being remote and just kind of being disconnected from everything, because mm-hmm. especially you know, uh, in uh, in uh, college and stuff, you're so busy with work and depending on who you are. I I wasn't very social just because I didn't really care about that. You know, like, so being social to me is just like, you know, if I want to hang out with you, I will. If I don't have to, then I won't kind of thing. That's That's just who I am. But being so busy in college and worrying about all these different things and trying to, you know, figure out what you want to do with your life and make sure you get good grades, but also make sure you know that you have friends and, you know, if you want to play sports or whatever it is, it was so nice to take a step back and just kind of, you know, be in a remote area, like you said, and just kind of disconnect. And that was something that was so beautiful about being in that area. You could go almost anywhere and you can get that solitude and get that quiet time. So I understand what you're saying. You know, there is so much that is going on in this world. You can yeah. you can look to the left or to the right and you can see five car accidents and you can see a bunch mm-hmm. of, you know whatever it is you know choppers in the air you know because oh breaking news and then you know you got all this political stuff going on and then you have people yelling at each and it's just like I just want to get away from that sometimes I just want to be able to you know just go and experience some of these places that people never would have even imagined existed you know like I would love to go to Argentina and experience what you experienced because not only are the mountains with glaciers just incredible to me the What are the what's that range called that's down there in Argentina? The Andes. The Andes. There we go. Um, Mm -hmm. I would love to experience that. I think that'd be so cool. And then to see, you know, these big, giant, flightless birds. You know, like I've never seen something like that. That'd be cool. But then you're also just in that area of calm and quiet, and you know, it's just relaxing and rejuvenating.
1: Yeah, I find it. It's it's like I call it soul nourishing. I find it soul nourishing. That's a good term. you know just being in just around nature and feel the power of it, and you, you kind of feel like you're, you, you're just like this tiny speck in this yeah. in the world. You know, these mountains and these plains, I mean, they're there forever, and you're just like this tiny little human speck. You know, we'll just live around, I don't know, 80 years and we're gone, and those mountains will still be there. You know, yeah. so it just gives you, <laughs> you know. Uh, it's just a sense of awe
0: i guess yeah yeah no i'm with you on that one yeah what um what would you say and you already kind of touched on this so i'm going to kind of ask it again but what would you say would be like if i have to go back to this place the this country because you know i enjoyed the mountains or the people or you know the remote like you're, you're number one what what would that country be
1: hmm yeah, number one would probably be different. Probably England, although it seems a very safe and boring choice. But um, the other country I really loved, I had a great time. It was Vietnam. And, really? Um, yeah, and there, it was far more interesting than I thought. There was so much to see. The people were pretty, you know, were nice. Um, very cheap to travel there. It's really mm. set up well for tourism. But there was just so much to see and, and really cool, interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I had a really good trip there. That, would, that was a good trip. Um, and some of the cities I've traveled in, I've often thought, you know, would be interesting to live in, like Bangkok. I, I really like yeah. Thailand, too, in Asia. Um, but again, talk about a crazy place. It's, yeah. it's, some of the, the Asian cities are pretty crazy. Um, but again, just really interesting. You know, you turn the corner and there are people... There's, there'll be a shrine to to Buddha there on the street corner, and people mm-hmm. are there lighting incense sticks, the joss sticks, and you know praying and whatnot in, on the street corner. Which you know, yeah. it's just funny. Um, Bali, the in Indonesia too, would be it was gorgeous. I didn't enjoy the the rest of a couple Jakarta and a, a couple of other places I went to Indonesia, but the island of Bali was was gorgeous. Mm.
0: I think that's, yeah, that's what I've. Heard. More. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you a little bit more about your novels and kind of your journalism career, because I want to one thing that fascinates me with people that go into writing or go into, you know, making music or uh, some sort of media creation. There's usually a set like a sort of thing that you draw from, like, I I don't know if it's, you know, like a past memory or something, you know, like a, a feeling or something. Um, but what would you say would be, you know, like the, um, inspiration to some of the novels that you've written?
1: Well, one was definitely, um, my novel Skin of Tattoos was, was actually from an experience, a journalistic, um, trip. I went to El Salvador to do a story on gang members who had been deported from Los Angeles back to El Salvador. They were born in Salvador and their parents had fled the civil war in the eighties and, um, early nineties. And um, when they got to L.A., they formed these gangs, you know, against the Mexican gangs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then they got, you know, involved in crime and what have you. And then the government, U.S. government sent them back to El Salvador. And so they were here, there in, in San Salvador. To, and they arrived in a country which was ostensibly they were from, but they did they didn't know it. You know they had left when they were babies and small children, which is something I can relate to because I had moved around at that age too. And so they sort of felt like the fish out of water. You know, some of them barely spoke Spanish. You know, they and they they but they were stuck there. They'd been deported. Um, so I went to, to there to do a story on this sort of weird phenomenon of of. Transporting of, of exporting gangs mm-hmm. and uh, a weird sort of consequence also of the Civil War in El Salvador. And um, I ended up sort of just there's the stories of the, the guys that I spoke to really stayed with me. So I ended up writing a novel, uh, Skin of Tattoos. And later, actually, when I went to LA, uh, I worked for the Associated Press and I covered a lot of gang in sh- issues, this being, you know, sort of the gang gang capital of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, So I wanted to tell the sort of the other side, deeper stories than I could in a journalistic article. Um, So so to go under the skin of tattoos, you know, they put tattoos on themselves to make them look more, um, make themselves look more intimidating and menacing. But underneath, they're kind of just like um, lost boys sometimes, you know, they I was on the street um, in a shanty town on the outskirts of San Salvador, uh, me and, the, and a Salvador photographer, and we went up to this guy and he was sort of the leader of these young teenagers. And what they were doing, there was a, a dirt road leading into the shanty town and they put up a chain across the road, tied a chain there. So anyone driving in would have to stop. And then the, the kids would appear and say, you have to pay a tax. And that was how they were making money
0: wow. <laughs> or a
1: toll, Or you know, they would charge a toll and yeah. then they would lift up the chain and they could proceed in. I mean, it was completely like, you know, extortion. But uh, so I got talking to the guy who was um, sort of leading this little, little uh, gang and, uh, you know, suddenly he, he leans in and he's like, Senora, you know, could you get me a job? I really need a job. I have a girlfriend. I I have a six month old baby. I just need a job. And when he said that I was, it just struck me. Like, he's just like any other, you know, he was, I think, 20 years old, 20, or 21. And, uh, you know, he wanted a job to support his family like anyone Mm -hmm. else. Um, But because there was so little opportunity in that country, that's what he was doing to support his family was, you know, being in a gang and doing this, this, little toll charging operation, which I'm sure they did. There wasn't a lot of traffic going in and out. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how much they even made from that. But, um, and so I, anyway, you know, that sort of stayed with me in, in some other stories. So I ended up writing this book, Skin of Tattoos, which and is sort of a literary novel about uh, a guy who's wants to get out of the gang, but he gets sort of drawn, sort of drawn back into it as a result of some bad, bad
0: choices that he makes. Mm. Um, that sounds really interesting. I really like that. I'm
1: proud of it. I'm proud of that book. And and later on, just more recently, I, I taught um, creative writing at a prison uh, here in Los Angeles County, and I brought in my book, and a couple of the Latino guys read it, and they had been in a gang, and uh, or I don't know if they still were, but anyway, they'd been in a gang, and they they were like, yeah, that you did a firme job. A firme means you know, good job, mm-hmm. and. He said, yeah, that's, I knew that, wow. that guy just like that character, the character, there's an antagonist, the, the bad guy is Rico. He's like, I knew guys just like Rico, you know, who do anything just because wow. they want to be the leader of the gang, you know. Uh, so that was really a, a shot in my, I was like, oh, if only you could put that review up on Amazon. You
0: know? <laughs> wow, but, uh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah. So, 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 you know, that was one of my novels that I took from that, although it's set in Los Angeles, but it's about a Salvadoran migrant family. And, um, you know, and again, their story and, and, and one of their, the sons is Mags, Magdaleno, who gets uh, in the gang and whatnot. So, and then um, another of my books, the other novel I wrote, Girl on the Brink is more from my own experience in a bad relationship an abusive relationship that I got out of. And as part of sort of the healing recovery process, I wanted to write about my, you know, I kind of process things by writing. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, doesn't come into any surprise, but I wrote a, so I wrote a novel, but I, I aimed it at a young adult audience. It's for teenagers. It's a, a YA novel, um, loose, very loosely based on my experience. Um, and it's about a girl who gets involved with the wrong guy and how she has to get out of it. and. And, and what happens to her after, you know, usually mm-hmm. books about this subject, they sort of end at the breakup, mm-hmm. but there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes afterwards because usually abusers don't, don't let their targets go so easily. Yeah. So it was sort of very, uh, sort of almost like a thriller, you know, uh, aspect to it, a suspense um, novel and I wanted to also point out the red flags of an abuser because they can be very easily mistaken if people don't know what they are. Yeah. And, and nobody really teaches you, you know, so that's why I wrote that book. And, um, and that's been very rewarding whenever I've been at events, you know, talking about the novel or what have you, people I've always had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, that was me. So thank you for reading this book, for writing this book. And, mm. you know, I was in an abusive marriage or my sister was or my daughter was or my friend was. You know, it's just so incredibly common. But it, people feel um, embarrassed or ashamed. Yeah. Because, yeah. I'm ashamed of it. So it's not, you know, commonly talked about. But um, yeah. but that's, that's my other novel.
0: Wow. No, th- those are both... It's, it's cool to hear, like I said, you know, it's really cool to hear how people draw inspirations to write or create, you know, their, their media, but you know, you, you talk about, you know, the one is about El Salvador and then the other, or, you know, the, the gang members of El Salvador, excuse me, and then how the other one is about you and your abusive relationship that you were in, which by the way, I'm very sorry to hear um, that you were in that. It sounds like you came out of it, you know, and you got a, a better outlook on things. So I'm happy to hear, you know, that, um, You dealt with it in uh, in the right way and everything. Um, But it's so cool to hear, you know, that you took two completely different ideas. You know, one is, you know, bad people, you know, trying to show some light, shed some light on them. And then the other one was, you know, like, this is me in the bad situation. It's almost like, it's almost like you got both sides, if you will, you know, of the bad people and then, you know, the person that they're attacking or hurting. It's really cool. Oh, I haven't cool.
1: thought of it that way. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Oh, I had not thought of it. Yeah. It's I mean, that's cool. worked for me. I mean, I think it shows, you know, I'm a pretty versatile writer, but yeah, as yeah, I've yeah. had other people say, the problem is that, you know, people expect a writer to write the same kind of book, to keep yeah. writing the same kind of book. I wrote, you know, different kinds of books. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know doesn't really build sort of a career, but I, I don't know. I just wanted to write
0: them. No, I mean, that's what, that's what a lot of people need to do. You just need to go for it. You know, like if you don't, then you're going to kick yourself later when you realize, Oh, you know, like I, I'm really passionate about, you know, say I, I really want to write a book. I'll I'll just use the writing thing. Like I I personally don't, I'm not a big reader per se. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's like, if I really wanted to write a book, and I didn't do it, I know for a fact with who I am that I'd be kicking myself down the road. You know, I'd be like, man, you should've just done that. Not only could you have helped so many people, you know, with some of the things that you could've put in the book, but it's like, it's a great way to just, you know, be creative and, you know, help express yourself and be able to actually like counsel yourself, if you will, through some of the things that you might be writing. Cause it's not just, oh, I'm gonna write some words, you know, on a piece of paper, you know, type out some words on a computer. You have to. Uh you have to go from, how am I going to get from A to B and everything Mm -hmm. in between all the little twists and turns and you really got to think about it. And you have to, you know, talk to yourself like, man, how am I going to get, you know, Julio from going here to here, you know, like, how am Mm -hmm. I going to do that? There's so much more than just writing a book. It's, you know, you're creating a world almost. And it's neat to, to hear that you're able to, you know, do one, but then you're able to not necessarily scrap it, but then you're able to, you know, take a step into another world and tell a personal story and be able to not only help yourself, but help so many other people.
1: Yeah. so, well, thank you. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I, it's almost like you have to be an actor. Yeah. To, I, I sometimes equate it to being, to acting because you have to kind of think emotionally like your character, at least your main character, mm-hmm. and you have to portray them with empathy um and, and yeah I'm writing about a completely different world say as in the um, the gang book but I could get into the character's mindset you know what I mean you you have to be empathic and be able be able to mix that with the imagination you know and of course your research you know I did a lot of research yeah um, on that as well um but you have to kind of have this formula of getting into the mindset and portraying, you know, the, the emotions of whatever you're, you're putting your character through. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like an actor at the same time, you're kind of like a, a movie director because you're, you're doing everything, you know, you're doing, you're the costume person, you're the, you know, photography person, you're the lighting, you know, you're putting mm-hmm. everything into the novel.
0: Man. It, it, oh. When you put it like that, it it's definitely sounding like a lot more than just I'm going to sit and type a few things out on a piece of paper. That's now, crazy. People don't
1: realize. They always say, "Oh, I'm going
0: to write a book. I have a great
1: idea for a book. Okay, sit down and write it. You know, R- write. Sit down and write three hundred pages. I mean, wow. it, it takes a long time. I mean, both of those books took you know several years, and you know, you have to go through drafts and drafts, and as you say, work out the plot and. You know the plot has to make sense. The characters have to make yeah. sense. They're really kind of unwieldy projects. Sometimes I think, you know, am I really a masochist? Why am I putting myself through <laughs> all this? You know, I could just, I could just read. You know, why do I have to do this writing thing? Yeah. But um. But you know, I keep doing it. So uh, it's. It, and if you think you're going to do it for the money, and that's the other thing, people think, "Oh, I'm going to, you know, sell a whole bunch of, I'm going to put my book up on Amazon and sell a whole bunch of copies." Well, it doesn't quite work like that, you know. You yeah. really have to work at selling them and marketing, and even then, it's it's, you know, it's tough going. So it's a labor of love more than anything.
0: Yeah, man, that's really cool. I I like though how you do say that if you try, and, and I feel like this goes with a lot of content creation if you will or media creation if you go at it for the money it's so much more than just that you know like sometimes it might work out for you you know like you could be very well versatile uh very well versatile you could be very versatile and very well uh, educated in marketing and you know actually being able to produce what you want to produce and it could work out for you but so many people nowadays they don't realize that just because you make something doesn't mean that like anyone is going to give it the time of day you have to put in so much more effort than just making the thing and clicking publish or making the thing and sending it out to the publisher or whatever it is. There's so much more that goes into it.
1: Oh, yeah. And especially today when you have, I mean, say you want to make a movie and you put it up on, on YouTube. Well, you've got to get people to watch it on YouTube. I yep. mean, it, it doesn't matter what it is or a podcast, you know, yep. it's, it's getting that marketing and um, and promotion piece there. That's that's tough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's just so many things competing for people's attention these days. At the same time, there's more avenues to put anything you want. I mean, you could use Band and make your own record, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all these things. But then the, the other piece is distribution and marketing. And that takes money. You know, you do have to, to be willing to spend some money to, um, you know, to get your, word, your work out there. So it is a, you know, that's the other side of the coin of creation is the business side.
0: Yeah, yeah. I want to ask you again a little bit about your journalism career because like I said earlier, I'm not very well uh, educated in how journalism works. You know, there's a lot of things in in that spectrum that I'm either super blind to or I've just never learned about. But what would be some of the, or I'll, I'll ask this, what is like one of the huge major misconceptions that most people might have about journalism?
1: Um, I think one that, you know, people are asked for stories to make money, you know, and it's and it's like, we're going to put, put some sensationalist headlines on this story because those newspapers are going to sell. And as a reporter, you're completely like divorced from the business side of uh, of journalism. The, the people who sell ads and do all that kind of stuff, they're really not involved in the editorial side. And so we, don't, we never that never came up, you know, it was, it was journalism for the news sake. If it was a news story, then it got on the front page or whatever. Um, it wasn't for just to sell newspapers. Yeah. We, we, we weren't in the, the business of selling, you know, to, to us, to the reporters and editors. I mean, that was just kind of anathema. We were there for news, you know, it was kind of this, this uh, moral um, journey or moral sort of job to inform people you know, and be the public watchdog on, on government um, to give voice to the voiceless. You know, I mean, it's that kind of a a mission that drives you as a a journalist. It's not to sell newspapers. Now, of course there has to be, you know, it it is a business and a profit does, does drive, uh, you know, the the fortunes of the company and things like that. But it wasn't something that we thought about at all. We were, um, are just, you know, again, focused on the story and the news value and exposing you know, wrongdoing, malfeasance, what have you. It wasn't about selling newspapers.
0: Oh uh, yeah. Cause I always thought it was about selling newspapers. I didn't realize that it was more focused on, and, and I guess it kind of depends. I, I would assume it one depends on the person, you know, and where they are, maybe, maybe morally, I, I'm not sure, but you know, it depends on the person and then it probably also depends on the publisher. But I always thought that people just, or journalists, excuse me, would just they, they wrote a story because they had to try and fill out a, a block or fill out a column so then they could put it in the newspaper and that's what makes money. That's honestly what I thought it was about. I didn't realize that it was more along the lines of, you know, exposing things that needed to be exposed or, you know, trying to tell the stories of, you know, people who might not have a voice or something like that. I, that, I find that to be almost convicting in a way because it, it kind of shows that I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Mm. Uh, well
1: that's the media is sort of you know hollywood and that's what people think oh you're just doing that to sell newspapers yeah oh, not really i mean again you know it wasn't anything that we we didn't think about that we that wasn't our job as a reporter and editor that's not your job
0: yeah
1: was to to write you know good stories that that informed people and yeah um they say uh, you know, gave information and that 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 really was the the motivating thing behind it um yeah. and there's one you know sometimes you see in hollywood to the sort of you know the the especially the, for some reason it's always the female reporter who sleeps with the source to get yeah. the, the story i've never known that to happen which is not to say that it doesn't happen but i yeah. I, I never came across that that's kind of really um uh, going over the line
0: Yeah. Is there a big difference between uh, writing, you know, uh, articles, I'll say, for maybe lack of a better term, but writing articles for, you know, different publishers in different parts of the states or even different parts of the world? Or is it all relatively the same kind of thing? You might just have to jump through a different hoop, you know, because you have to try and speak to, you know, some big name person? Or is it all kind of, you know, the same that might seem like a really redundant question, but
1: no. I mean, there's st- the styles differ. I mean, the, it's basically the same thing, but there's differences in style. Like, I think like the British press are much more aggressive. Um, and I saw, you know, I covered it was who was it? It was um, Kate Middleton came to now she's I don't know what she is Duchess of something. And her husband came to LA one time. So I was on, I was covering the visit and there was a whole bunch of British reporters who follow the Royal family on all these trips and whatnot. And they were just, I mean, they were just really aggressive and yelling questions and just just the Hmm. way they carried themselves. And the American press was much more sort of respectful. Hmm. And it was just, and that's what they say about, you know, the British tabloid or British press. Um, in Latin America, it's much more partisan. The, the newspapers are much more political. So they'll take like a political slant often to, to the news they'll hear. Um, uh, so it's definitely different Different aspects of yeah, it are yeah. different. But it's basically the same job.
0: Okay. Yeah, because like, like you said, you know, like the British are maybe a little more <laughs> aggressive and stuff. I, I wasn't sure if maybe like, the publishers in and of themselves were like, you have to do this, you know, like when you're talking about, um, you just said, and I already forgot, but somewhere down in South America, I think it was, they're a little more political. And mm-hmm. I was like, mm, I, I didn't realize that some people will use a political edge to try and further their stories. I, it just doesn't make sense. Cause like I said, you know, I've, I've been in the States most of my life, you know, I've I've only lived out of the States. I studied abroad in Germany for three months, and that's, you know, pretty much my, my time being out of the States. But, uh, you know, I've only ever really known the American um, press and stuff and how that kind of sort of works. You know, like, of course, I'm not super knowledgeable about it, but, you know, just how you see it in the movies, I guess, is my my <laughs> my. Extent the extent of my knowledge is what you see in the movies. So it's mm-hmm. interesting to hear just you know kind of how the different countries do it and the, you know the different levels of ferocity when it comes to you know the the uh, reporters and stuff. I didn't I didn't know that it was relatively the same. I guess. Yeah, the there's part. just
1: different styles. Different I, I styles. Guess different, yeah, that's a, that's a better yeah.
0: term. Yeah. Mm. Um, things, yeah. What would you and. If you can answer this, because I'm not sure if you can, but I think you would be able to. Who would be considered maybe the most like well-known person you've met through your time in journalism? If you've met anyone that's like Leonardo DiCaprio or you know someone like that,
1: um, I did interview Jeff Bridges. Uh, speaking of, oh. of um, Hollywood people, yes. okay. And he, was, he seemed like just like he was in the movies. I mean,
0: he just seemed like the same guy, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he was very cool. Uh, you know, a brief interaction with him. Um, I interviewed the, the president of Venezuela, Hugo Chavez, twice. And that was really, oh, really fascinating. Um, that's sick. Yeah, it was really fascinating. He, he talked, you know, just went on and on and on. He really didn't have to, like, ask him too many questions. But, you know, he was a big talker and... Highly, very charismatic too. You could see how he got people to follow him, you know, Mm. um, very convincing in the way he he carried himself and his personal charisma. Yeah.
0: Wow. How did you, and again, if you can't answer this, if you can't, I understand, but how did you get the ability to interview Hugo Chavez? Like, was that just some random story or were they like, all right, here's something kind of like, keep it on the hush hush, you know, like, here you go.
1: Well, I was working for Time Magazine and they wanted an interview with, with Hugo Chavez. So I, you, you call up the press office and say, you know, I want to solicit an interview. And wow. uh, then you have to sort of go through some heat hoops. And what are you going to talk about? This and that. And when's it going to be? And how long do you want? Well, we can give you, you know, you want an hour. Okay, we can give you 30 minutes. Uh, <laughs> you know, this kind of thing, negotiation. And he was only going to talk with um you know pretty prestigious media so he knew uh you know time magazine was well known there so they were yeah. going to so they did grant the interview um uh twice and later on he would only grant interviews to to press that he deemed friendly you mm-hmm. know, leftist sort of uh press and stuff like that so that's another you know thing that that often um, leaders do is they they only uh grant interviews to reporters and and publications that they deem friendly you know yeah
0: that's so cool man i've spoken to someone who's spoken to hugo chavez not a lot of people i feel like can say or i should say interviewed hugo chavez not a lot of people can say that's really cool (laughs) that's yeah that's
1: probably the uh, I, i would say the high point um you know, once I sp- I covered Joe Biden when he was v- vice president and he came to uh, LA and I got to ride in the motorcade in the press van and that was pretty exciting. Because, That's cool. You know, I, yeah, they they like, you know, stopped all the uh, the on ramps onto the freeway and we just sped right down this little caravan and he was in the other car, of course, but the press was behind and we just, you know, blasted through red lights and you know had these uh motorcycle cops was escorting us down the freeway and yeah it was pretty cool and then wow. and with the you know he would go to some school or something and talk to people and then everybody had to run and i mistakenly wore heels that day so i was like you no. know we had to run to the press van and heels. You know, so I was like oh i
0: should oh
1: man But it was funny yeah so that was that was cool so yeah little things like that are very uh you know cool things to, to yeah. cover.
0: That is really neat. Oh my goodness, that's cool. I, I kind of wish that I had your your job. I mean, I'd probably be pretty bad at it, but that would be cool just to meet some of these people, you know, or at least be in the presence of some of these people and be able to, you know, just kind of hear them talk and stuff. That sounds like a like a pretty fun job. I, um, I'm going to kind of wind us down a little bit. I got uh, three more questions uh, that I'm going to ask you, and they're all relative. Well, two of them are really easy. One of them might be a little more uh, challenging, but first question is would you be able to say the following sentence for me thank you for listening to this episode of across the pond
1: thank you for listening to this episode of across the pond thank
0: you because what i've been doing is i've been having people say that and then i kind of chop it up at the end of each episode Mm -hmm. and it's just like a big thank you from all the people you know some people have already been on the show and some people haven't been on the show yet so it's just like a big giant conglomerative thank you it's really cool i really like it um The next question that I want to ask you is, would you be able, or not would you, would you like to, uh, shout anything out real quick, you know, like books you're working on or stuff that's come out or social media. If you, if you do social media or anything that, you know, you want to have people know about you.
1: Yeah. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, all the usual suspects. Um, my website is Christina My last name is H O A G and, um, you can buy my books, uh, off there. I, I had ordered a whole bunch a year ago to, you know, all set to do different events and things, you know, just, uh, for, for books. And of course, everything got canceled. So I've been trying to sell <laughs> my books. I've got some left, uh, you know, one here and there, uh, and I can mail them off, uh, to, uh, to whoever and wherever. So just look me up.
0: Gotcha. Cool. Um, I'll put your, the link to your website, in the Mm -hmm. notes of this episode so when it goes live people can find it and they'll just go there and then they can see all your stuff um and then the last question that i want to ask you and this is one that i ask everyone who comes on the show is what would be some advice or some wisdom that you would like to pass down to someone who's listening
1: i think that the biggest thing is is number one is is believe in yourself and that you can do what you set your mind to and I often look back and I think I would have even gone further in my journalism career or what have you, if I believed in myself even more, you know, and, and especially with writing, also writing novels, you know, because you're plagued by self-doubt, but you just have to believe in yourself that you have a story to tell and, and to just go for it. Just, if you want to do something, just go for it. Don't be afraid, you know, and that's, that's the thing also, I think that holds people back the most is fear from from especially from doing things they really want to do sometimes i think you know well what if i quit my job and i go traveling well then what you know or yeah just go for it you know sometimes you just have to take a leap of faith and i've found that things work out in the end yeah you know, really do work out
0: sweet awesome well thank you so much christina for speaking with me for this hour can you believe it's been an hour I know it's going back. Yeah, it's been it's been fast. I hope that this was a little bit different than maybe, you know, some sort of, you know, interview that you've done in the past on your book or something because I just like to be able to talk to people and learn about what they've done, you know, learn about who they are a little bit, you know, what they're passionate about. And so I hope that you know you enjoyed the the hour that we chatted and you know it's maybe a little something different, you know, because how how many times how many times you go on the internet, you see a post about someone who's doing a podcast. And they're like, here, fill out this form. Then I'll get in contact with you. And then you chat with them for an hour. Like, how many times does that happen in your life? Maybe once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just fun to me to be able to learn about people. And, you know, you're a very interesting person. I really did enjoy this. And, you know, learning about your travels and stuff and uh, uh, your books and even, you know, your journalism career and all that. It's, you have a very, what, what's the term? A very, um, Incentric. you it, yeah, there you go. Eclectic <laughs> career, you know, like it's it's so cool. Uh, everything that you've done and whatnot. Like I'm very thankful that you uh, shared that that information with me. It was awesome. So thank you so much. It was fun.
1: Oh well, thank you. Thanks for you know inviting me on and um, yeah, and, and giving me this hour to talk about stuff. It, it was fun. Yeah, it was yeah. really
0: cool. Good. Well what I'll do is I'll end this here and then stay on because I of course you know you've had your your camera on the whole time I, I should at least show you my face you know I'm more than happy to do that and then I'll kind of show you around my room and you can see you know I got flags from my travel so I got flags and stuff hanging <laughs> up so yeah I think you yeah, I think I like that but like I said you know thank you so much for speaking to me this was this was fun I enjoyed it thank you Daniel Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Across the Pond. Dankie dat jy het geluister het na hierdie episode van Oorkant die Plas. Thank you for listening to this episode of Across the Pond.
1: Muchas gracias por escucharnos el podcast de Across the Pond. Vielen Dank, dass du Across the Pond angehört hast heute Abend.
0: Merci d'avoir écouté cet épisode de Across the Pond.
1: Thank you for
0: listening to this episode of Stranger. I'm sorry, of Across the Pond. <laughs> that was good. That was good. I kind of got you there. I was wondering if you were going to do it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Across the Pond. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at KingServant, and that's K1NGSSERVANT. You can also find the audio version on YouTube. There's no video, just audio. You can type in the search bar across the pond and you'll find us with the picture of the lily pad. If you want to support us monetarily, you can find us on Patreon. Each tier has its own rewards, so please check that out if you want to throw some money my way, but please don't feel like you have to. I do this because I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't do this for money. If you know someone that would love to be on the show, go ahead and send them my email across the pond pod01 at gmail.com. And that's it. That's all you got to do after that. I got to do all the hard work but I would appreciate it if you could spread the word a little bit. Tell your friends, tell your family, say, hey, I found this really cool podcast that I think you'll like. The host talks to people from all around the world about anything. Tune in next Sunday and every other Thursday for another awesome episode of Across the Pond.